0: Sorry, guys. Is that too much noise in the background? Are you picking it up a little bit? Sorry. Give me one second. It's okay. It's a podcast. <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> hey, Matt. Matt.
1: Hey, Matt. Be quiet. <laughs>
2: Simmer down. A little food joke. A little food joke in there. Simmer down.
1: Simmer down now. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined, as always, by my podcast producer extraordinaire, Sylvie LeBeau. Sylvie, how are you?
2: I'm doing real good, real well.
1: You like that I got your name right finally, again, after <laughs> having it wrong and then having it right for a it's, while, then having it wrong for a while?
2: It's my favorite uh, long-running joke on the show.
1: I'm so glad.
2: Yeah, it's going to it's going to follow us. It's going to haunt us. It's going to maybe, you know, create some some conflict with your sister. It only makes sense that
1: you would mispronounce your name for years and then I would mispronounce your name for yeah, months, right? Exactly. That's, we both need to we both need to do it.
2: That's that's exactly right.
1: Yeah. What's got you talking too loud this week, Sylvie?
2: What's got me talking too loud? You know, it's uh it's pretty boring, but I <laughs> I have been, I really have been talking too loud about it. UPS, UPS has uh, been coming in. What?
1: <laughs> Deliveries? Really? Or it's, pickups? Are you having pickups? It's returns,
2: it's returns. It's so returns? I live around the corner from a UPS and have underutilized this beautiful oasis, like all pandemic long, because my oh my, my online gosh. shopping was out wow. of control.
1: Of course, it was. It was
2: out of control. And instead of like returning things <laughs> and getting my money back, <laughs> I just put them in a closet.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. To die. Oh, I've, I've been there. That's yeah. a rough place to be. It
2: is. But now, yes. But now, saw how easy it was. Yeah. That's why I have a printer. Okay. I have a printer so, that's Savage, just for the same reason. I love that you said you have a printer. That's the next step in this. Uh, <laughs> That's the next step in this evolution. I think I need to get a printer. I think it's time. You do.
1: You do. I, I have a black and white printer. Yeah. That way I don't have to ever worry about that thing where it's like color is running
2: Yeah. Low, who needs, blah, who blah, blah. needs the toner? And
1: it's, it is for printing, shipping, labels. That is the point of the printer. Yep. It's amazing. It's but, amazing. I mean, once you can really unleash returns game over game, game over. over once you're once you're confident in the return game, game then over. it's like which of these pairs of shoes should i get exactly you're like, well i'm getting four
2: exactly i'm gonna keep
1: one and it's just suddenly guess it's what i did you're today you're trying things
2: on What'd guess what do? i ordered two pairs of shoes gonna return one Hell yeah that's Hell how you yeah. do it
1: that's how you do it good Hell thing you have that yeah. ups so close right yes Okay. Well, speaking of people who have adjusted to remote working well, of <laughs> Dang is our
2: uh, guest today. I on love that transition. Lovely. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Yes. So uh, Mecham works at America's Test Kitchen. She's an executive producer. She has been producing content, digital products, and you're not going to believe this, experiences since 2004.
2: She's She's a full stack creator. Full stack. She's a full
1: stack creator. Yes. so super excited to have her here on the show. Um, and that's I just accidentally went into the intro. So there we go.
2: What do you mean accidentally? That was on purpose.
1: I thought we were gonna do more riffing.
2: <laughs> no, I we don't need any more riff. Okay,
1: no more riff. So we should go should we go now? Let's go now. Okay. Meekam, so nice to meet you. Thank you for being here.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: We're really excited that you're here. Um, and, you know, I was looking at your website. I've seen a bunch of your work. You're in show business. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> and you describe yourself as a full stack creator and a filmmaker. I also know that you're, I believe you're into cryptocurrency as well. Is that, is that true? <laughs>
0: You know, now that it's mainstream, I'm just I'm behind the (laughs) curve. I I was a few. Now I'm now I'm over it because everybody's (laughs) into it, right? That's how it goes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, And you're also here as the executive producer of a bunch of content that America's Test Kitchen makes. Um, So you're doing all these different things, and you also are doing all of this now remotely. Is that right?
0: Yes. So we actually have started to transition very slowly back into the studio. Our studios are based in Boston, but for the majority of the year, it has been 100% remote production.
1: And what was that transition like? Getting, I mean, obviously, it was a huge transition for us and threw us for a a big loop, but what was that experience like for you?
0: You know, it's funny. I was actually just having this conversation with somebody because we're coming up on over a year, and we were sort of reflecting on how we did things and how amazing it was that we pulled it off but sort of the things we learned along the way and what we might have done differently and the company decided to close its doors you know within a week or two after covid um, really hit the the national headlines and so to even take a step back our slate is so full um, you mentioned this and it's packed so tightly that even shifting a shoot by a few days has huge implications to everything that we do so With that decision, we had to really put our heads together and figure out how we were going to make this work so that we could continue to make content uh, in people's homes, essentially. And so I would say that there's probably a few phases of how we approached it. The first was kind of assessing people's individual circumstances and situations within their home kitchens, who was comfortable, what kind of equipment they already had access to, and how we could support them from a food and creative perspective, because that's one of the sort of unique things about producing food content from home. There's a a lot that happens in our studios with the support of our kitchen staff and our test cooks, um, people who help us prep and shop for ingredients. They make what are called twins or doubles or sometimes triples, and all of that went out the window. So we really had to assess what everybody was working with before we could even start to formulate the plan.
1: And can you describe like, so? obviously, I want to get into the remote stuff. But also, for people who don't know America's Test Kitchen, like what it is that you all do. And then like, I want to go into you're talking about the triples and doubles and like, the experience (laughs) of being there. Like, what was the kitchen like? What's it like when you're shooting that kind of content in person?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, America's Test Kitchen has been around for a long time. Um, They're most probably most prominently known for their television shows. Uh, There's the America's Test Kitchen television show and the Cook's Country show, both uh, on PBS. And then we put out uh, books and magazines. And then we also have a digital subscription product as well as an online cooking school. And as of this year, um, which my team is responsible for, an ATK Kids channel um, that will be launching on YouTube in June. But it is a really, really multifaceted media company. um, And it's been around for a while. We do a lot of different things. Makes sense that uh, that I'm there doing all the video things as well. And prior to COVID, we were 100% in studio. So our kitchen, our offices, and our sets, and all of our equipment and crew took place within that studio in Boston. And when you take all of that out of the equation, there's also the brand, right? It is is known for being really trusted, tried and true. We're an authority figure in the food space because of the way that we develop recipes and test equipment, which is thousands of times over before we actually put our stamp of approval on it and share it with the world. So you can imagine how trying to adapt that process to the home environment was very challenging for us internally, but ultimately it was the best thing because we learned that we were serving our home cooks because we became the home cooks. I think it was creatively one of the best things that could have happened to us as a company because it showed us how to actually make that stuff in context.
1: That's interesting. When I think of America's Test Kitchen, there's always, you know, evidence of the testing that was done. And like, I always think about this brown rice recipe for some reason, <laughs> where my wife and I were making a lot of brown rice at one point. And it was like, oh, if you cook it in the oven on bake covered or something like then it always comes out like perfectly moist. And it was a very surprising way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that came out of America's Test Kitchen trusted me. I trusted it rather to... Uh, to try investing in these like other ways of making food. How do you capture that? I guess um, in the shows like and how do you capture it when there are so many different versions of things?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that's probably one of the challenges we faced as a video team when we were first starting to make original content for the brand a couple years ago. And for us, we really leaned into that aha moment. So it's not necessarily about showing all of the steps and the process that led to that learning. It's about showing what you can do with that and apply it to your own recipes or to anything you make in the future. There's also the science aspect of it. Um, Again, that trust and authority comes from distilling the information in a way that you can really say, oh, I get it. I never thought of it that way before, but now I get it. And for me as a cook, that's how I cook. I actually don't follow recipes all that often, but I take techniques that I adapt to the thing that I'm making at the moment. So that is how we've come to approach our video, but it's changing and it's definitely changed as a result of the last year where I think just like this conversation, people want to see more of the process. They want to see the mistakes, you know, they want to see how you got to the solution, not just the answer to the question. So we're doing a lot more of that now.
1: And then I have a friend who, who works there. Oh, who? Molly Birnbaum.
0: Oh, yes. Molly and I work very closely together on the kids uh, product.
1: Awesome. And she was telling me about like the thing that she misses is just like, you know, when there's like tons of people coming in on test days to like try everything. And uh, can you describe what that experience is like? Because I feel like it's like it's one thing to see the finished product in a book or in a show or what have you. But like, what is it like on the road there? What is that like internally?
0: Yeah, Molly is so right. The uh, the energy of being together in the space and testing and tasting live is lost. It's totally gone in this past year. Normally, the sort of main, the heartbeat of the space is what's called the general kitchen. And that's where all the test cooks and teams are developing recipes. And then right next to that, we have the reviews team testing lab. So that's where you see all the equipment being tested everybody's constantly collaborating, and then they'll do calls to the entire office to come taste food when it's ready. So none of that has been able to, (laughs) we haven't had access to any of that interaction over the last year.
1: Yeah. And that seems like a core cultural thing.
0: It's huge. It's huge. It's been great to be placed in the shoes of our our customers, right? Be, Be a home cook, but it's also been isolating and hard. Also, the the kitchen is set up with multiple ovens, right? You have all of this equipment that you wouldn't have at home that you need to conduct these tests. And so without that, it does feel really challenging. Um, and I, I can't speak too deeply to how the test cooks have adapted their process in terms of the recipe development. But I can say on the video side, there was a point when it was all about the Zoom meetings because we wanted to have time together and talk about everything mm-hmm. that would normally happen in the hallways yeah. or on set. But then we hit a point where we didn't want to be on Zoom as much as we were. The fatigue really set in. Uh, the
1: Zoom fatigue.
0: <laughs> oh, so real. I know everyone jokes about it, but we had to figure out other ways to give people time and space back to be creative again um, without being in the same room together.
1: And so obviously, you're in person, you're doing tests, uh, people are cooking things. Like I feel like there's, ob- there's a lot of stuff to shoot. You've got your set. You've got everything there. Yes, and then you've talked a lot about everyone being a home cook, which seems like very good, like being forced to be in the shoes of the customer. But that has obviously created some wrinkles. So, um, in the production, so what what is the production like now? What have you taken from it um, that's been really good about being remote, and what's been hard?
0: Yeah, so I'd love to use What's Eating Dan as an example because we upgraded the home kits. So Dan is now shooting on a Sony XV1. I believe he's got you know a wireless lab. He's got lights. Dan is not only the talent, the cook, but he's also now the videographer. <laughs> so he's <laughs> he's taken on uh, pretty much everything. He is a one man band in that sense. But then we have Dan Callahan, who is the senior series producer, with him the whole time. So there was a lot of sort of remote pre scouting of the location. You know stuff that I'm sure that you all did in the making of your content as well, and that many had to do. But it was about understanding what Dan's threshold was. And the second that it stops being fun, that's going to affect the content. That's going to affect his performance. So we had to be a lot more flexible with the number of videos we were attempting to do this year and how frequently we we're doing them too.
1: You're saying the second it stopped being fun for Dan? Yes. Yeah. Like so. And when you mean like the cooking or the production or just like too many episodes, like tell me more about that.
0: Yeah. So, because the production itself falls entirely on his shoulders, if he's stressed out because he's on a deadline for the magazine the same week, probably not the right time to add a video shoot to the calendar. So, we on the sort of YouTube social publishing side made sure that we were really flexible with our publishing deadlines. Even though we've got goals to hit, even though there are things we know we want to do, we basically started this year with the understanding that it's all going to change anyway. So, if we need to be more open and flexible now, Once we start to transition back into the studio, which is slowly happening, that's when we can get back into a more controlled environment and be a little bit more rigid about how we need to do things.
1: And how did you realize that? And this seems like such a simple question, but like, how did you realize that it was important that um, that he have fun in the production or anyone have fun in the production?
0: Totally. I think the unique thing about ATK is that our talent are also doing so many other things. You know, they're not just on-screen talent where this is their day job and the thing they get to focus on 100% of the time. So being really tied in to what they were going through, um, the other things that they were balancing, and making sure that video is something that they feel invested in. Um, I learned a lot about that (laughs) through the last few years of trying to basically, you know, build an original content arm for video um, when the processes around TV, for example, are so different.
1: And do you think, I guess like the reason I'm kind of digging in on this fun thing is, um, it's so easy to forget it. It's so easy to yeah. just not even factor it in as like, oh, this person's stressed out, and that's why the content's not going to be as good. Um, would you give others the same advice? Like if you're trying to make content like this, try to make make sure that the talent is actually having fun in the process.
0: I, I do think it's one of those things that, you know, we've all been talking about what are we going to carry over when this is all. <laughs> said and done. And that's that's true. I really do think the person on camera, I know it was very hard for me to be in front of the camera during show business. It's not an easy thing on yeah. top of operating the camera, cooking the food, writing the script. So I think it's the most important thing for the talent to feel excited and invested and be having fun. And let's be real, it's been a really hard year uh, and continues yeah. to be. So there are so many things that we all are going through and processing that we can't see. So from a video perspective, our team is always trying to make sure that this can be an enjoyable part of the person's work and the person's day. And the second that it's not, we have that flexibility because we work in the digital sphere to change and to adapt. So it's gotta be about that person in front of the camera.
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's funny because that's exactly what we've talked about. Um, And this show is about that, right? Like when we were talking about concepts of this show, and conversations I would be having is like well if i can actually enjoy it if it's actually fun then we will be able to keep doing it and we will learn and we'll figure out stuff and we'll make it better and better and better and better better but like the secret sauce of like just make it so each revolution through like every episode is actually enjoyable then we can do the hard part which is like sticking with it right yes um but i feel like it's so i, I love that you're saying that and that you're talking about the other things that are going on in people's lives and like how that factors in because I feel like it's so obvious when we're at home you know it's like my kids might run in the door at any moment like that's very possible so you could see my life on display but the other side of it's like we all are almost more human even though we're apart right like that that um instinctual fundamental thing of it's very hard to fake it and so if you can actually enjoy the process then that comes through I, I just love that And then you said you're starting to go back. So what do you, how is that working? Like, are you, are people ready to go back? Are they excited to go back? Are they nervous to go back? Is this making your job way harder or are you, is it easier? What is it, what's the transition like now?
0: I would say that our team in particular, we have been wanting to be (laughs) together and be back in a physical space um, for a very long time. So, you know, earlier um, towards the end of 2020, phase one was, everybody shoot with your iPhone. Let's work with what you have. Phase two was let's upgrade the iPhone kits, train you on all this new gear, do a couple of content series around that. Then phase three was our flagship shows that it's probably time for us to really consider how we scale this. If we're going to be at home for another six months, let's do actual camera packages, um, prosumer stuff that everybody can learn how to use. Now in phase four, We've actually started, um, and this is very much thanks to our kitchen ops team who's figured out safety, testing, you know, a lot of our staff is starting to get vaccinated. We've actually been able to be on set in, you know, sort of skeleton crew situations. So we will be shooting in folks' homes, but on the crew side, there's probably myself or Simon, our director of video, a producer, and an assistant camera. So we've kind of made this pod system work, and that's we're taking that model and transitioning it back to the studio. So what previously happened in when we're shooting at folks' homes, uh, what I was talking about earlier around uh, food support and kitchen operations, that mm-hmm. was happening remotely. So the, those teams would sort of prepare the food that we would need for the shows and either deliver them or use Instacart. <laughs> it was a very <laughs> patchwork system that you know I just give all, them all the credit in the world for figuring out and making work for us. And then that will be back in the studio. So we'll actually have that test cook staff working in the kitchens while we're shooting on set, even though there's probably never going to be more than 15, 20 people in the building at a time.
1: Interesting. So it's like you're taking the pod system, you're bringing back all this planning, and you're e- you're easing your way to, to a place where you have, I assume, more control. You could probably shoot more stuff in a day. You can, is that yes, right? Yes,
0: that's 100% yeah. right. Uh, just last month, we were doing a development shoot for one of our new shows for OTT, um streaming platforms in Pluto so they're longer. These shows are upwards of 30 minutes and are usually multiple recipes. So they're closer to the television show and more complicated than what we do on YouTube. And we were shooting at the talent's house in Salem and her kitchen is small. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, you know, three of us on top of each other, don't move cuz you'll be in the reflection of the microwave. Our flag isn't big enough, so let's tape up a black jacket so we don't see the reflection. It was just <laughs> bananas. Then it's getting hot and we have to stop and open the windows. Her kids are coming home in a couple of hours. Yeah, we're pretty excited to get away from all of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how many shows are you producing at one time? Like how, how much stuff is ATK making?
0: Uh, wow. On the digital side for video, I mean, we probably have 20 projects in the hopper at a time. It's, it's all sort of scattered, but that's not counting our social video, which is, you know, a couple of videos a day at this point. But okay, we have a dedicated a, social producer. Just a couple
1: a day. <laughs> Got it. All right. Um, how do you think about like, uh, that's a lot of projects at once. I mean, uh, yes. that's a lot of projects at once for any organization. I mean, ATK, I'm just calling it ATK now. That's fine, right? We can just do that. We're I like think, cool now, I think
0: brand. I think brand would always say America's Test Kitchen, ATK oh, okay. is internal. America's Test Kitchen. America's Test Kitchen. I'll, I'll test take kitchen. that.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, so America's Test Kitchen is obviously, it's a media company. You're making a lot of media. It makes sense. But still, um, how do you think about keeping the brand consistent across that? Or do you not? Um, how do you manage like the projects that are in so many different stages at the same time and talent that works across these projects? I mean, this is like a a complex, I would not gonna say nightmare, but like, it seems (laughs) very, very complex. Um, how do you manage all that?
0: So uh, there's a couple things there. I will start by saying it's something that I've said um, many times before. That for me, I look at video content based on where it's going. And so yes, we do have latitude. The brand is not going to appear the same way in our YouTube shows as it does on our TikTok videos, which can be anywhere from five seconds to fifteen seconds. We're we're not going to spend that type of time working through a graphics package for TikTok. The content on that platform doesn't warrant that type of creativity. So. There was a lot of education that had to happen internally for people to really understand what I meant when I said that. And now (laughs) here we are a couple of years later, I think everybody is on board. It's still a learning curve. And we as a video team are responsible for making sure our counterparts are comfortable in that process with us. So for example, we have some teams who their sole focus is working on books and we haven't solved how to make videos based on book content. But we have figured out that our key talent on the television show, who are also doing things in the cooking school and with the magazines, they actually have a way to easily translate what they're doing in that everyday content to video. So it was really about figuring out, again, like where are people at? What kind of capacity do they have? And then the video team is structured in a way that each uh, producer is sort of the project manager as well. Everything funnels up into myself, um, Simon, our director of video, and we have two amazing, I have to give them a shout out. I call them the queens of the castle, our line producer and our post-production supervisor, Hen and Diane, nothing gets done without them. They are really the masters of everyone's time, schedule, budgets. Of course, we're meeting every day, but they have the long view. Once we set the priorities for the year, they are the ones who help us keep track of all of these different projects. And then, of course, requests come up, things change. They help us manage how to make all of that happen. We probably could do a better job of saying no uh, here and there. We're we're all very nice. So anytime anybody has an idea for a show or wants to do this and comes to us with it, we usually figure out how to make it happen.
1: And... When do you know when it's worth investing in a new platform?
0: That's a tough one. Uh, (laughs) I would say I had very high hopes for TikTok over a year ago. And for me, I really try to pay attention to what platform is doing, is giving you the ability as a content creator to do something else or something there that you wouldn't do anywhere else, rather. That's kind of my North Star when I prioritize like hey, maybe we should try making stuff on this platform and seeing what happens. And that's 100% paid off for TikTok. I think when the business has gotten to the size that it has, we're even starting to see YouTube become more precious. So in the beginning of our channel, we would experiment more. We would launch different mm-hmm. types of shows. We had more variety. But now our audience there, they want to see the cooking content. They want to see the science content. They want to understand the difference between this knife and that knife. The gear. Yes, we love the gear gear. They love gear. And so we're shifting right to to use platforms, newer platforms as that more prototyping experimental ground as opposed to YouTube, which is really precious. Now, Instagram, I would say, is even more precious than it used to be. And then these newer platforms like the OTT platforms are where we're prioritizing doing stuff that's somewhere in between the television show and YouTube. So that's brand new territory for us.
1: But you look at each, and I, it sounds like your advice, tell me if I'm, I'm right on this, but your, your advice to others would be, look at the platform and how people interact with that and yes. match the content to that platform. So the same thing going five platforms, usually not a good strategy.
0: Absolutely not. I, I stand firmly by that <laughs> uh, creative assumption, especially in today's content creation landscape.
1: What would you, if you were to give someone like the one minute rundown, of like, you know, YouTube is this, Instagram is this, TikTok is this. What would you what would you say?
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is good. Um well, I mean, YouTube is part of Google, which is, you know, a search engine. So, content on YouTube there there's sort of a window with any new platform too when you have those sort of early adopters who really define what the platform is about. And then anybody else who tries to hop on the bandwagon, with the exception of TikTok, where literally it's anyone's game any day, they, they you know they, <laughs> they define what works on there. And so YouTube to me is more like mid-form, mid-form. And when I say mid-form, I mean five to fifteen minutes in terms of the type of content you might produce. But then you see you know major publishers and channels post full episodes that are upwards of forty-five minutes to sixty minutes. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, but you can look at YouTube as some as a place where you go deeper, um, almost like the way we used to think about websites. That's where people are really going to spend their time, and they're looking for the utility-driven stuff. Instagram is a place for aspiration. Um, they're trying their best to be more of a space for creators and give people those tools. But to me, TikTok is a platform where creativity runs wild, and it is so... Interesting, the way that they serve content because our experiences are highly individual. You and I will never see the same things. Sylvie and I will never see the same things. I was I was trying
2: to teach Savage about TikTok the other day. He wasn't
0: having it. He wasn't <laughs> having <laughs> tell, it. Tell me, tell me, <laughs> Sylvie,
2: what happened? <laughs> I was just uh, I was saying that I was like, yeah, these ran. I don't even understand the algorithm, right? Like, I don't know why I'm getting a certain video. Um, but it was a teacher talking about like Gen Z slang and like some of the terminology was just blowing my <laughs> mind. And Savage was like, You're totally you're being punked right now. And I was like, No I'm Yeah, she was she was
1: throwing out all these things <laughs> to me. I was like, none of these are real words. Like the the algorithm has decided that you can be punked.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like um they've described it as a rainbow. So they're serving you different pieces of content across that rainbow just to see how you react to it. And it's just so highly individualized. And even with some of the um, influencer agencies that we're starting to work with, because we're expanding not just our internal talent, but external, because our platforms are at that point. They have people who rise and fall every week, every two weeks. Like That is how fast it's moving.
1: That's wild. That's crazy. Crazy. Like that. You're telling me that there's like, you know, huge influencer for like two, three weeks and then gone. Yes. Yeah, that's wild.
0: Yeah. And it just, you know, it's um I have some I have some feelings about all of it because I also think it puts us as creative people in a position to always be on. And I think that if this year has taught us anything, we actually need breaks uh to, to be creative. Um so it's it's an interesting time in the industry for sure, but yeah. TikTok, super short. Um, mix it up. Experimental platform. Instagram is aspirational. I haven't even mentioned Facebook because that's not a priority for us anymore. And then YouTube is where you know we go a little bit deeper.
1: So Facebook's not even on the table. It's just, nah.
0: In terms of video, it's not on our priority roadmap anymore. Um, I'm not quite sure where video stands. I know when I was at the company, there was a big push for live. There was Facebook Watch and a lot of original content being produced there. Did it ever really go anywhere? I'm not, I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, got it. That's pretty wild, though. There was like a moment there where that was what every everyone was talking about. Facebook was just video, right? And because we've, we've seen similar things that it's like nowhere near as effective as it used to be. Yes. Um, and obviously, Wistia, we're marketing our, to a, a lot of other companies, B2B. And so it's like I throw LinkedIn in there and that also yep. is like highly effective for us and you know instagram is and youtube is um, but facebook is more and more not working which is kind of surprising given the amount of effort that was put into getting like small medium sized businesses on their advertising
0: right Yeah. What was it? The pivot to video was like that period of time when it was all about Facebook video.
1: Then I guess if you lie about, uh, you know, how many views people are getting and throw up, you know, screw up the advertising (laughs) Uh like enough, like that Uh people get upset. They get upset.
0: (laughs) Well, you're you're making me think of something else, which I've also tried to, you know, help us think about at ATK. It's this idea that you should diversify, you know, because these are not your and this is what you have all done a great job of. These platforms can change their rules at any minute, and all yeah. of a sudden, your audience is gone, your revenue is gone. So, by having a wider net, you're basically future proofing yourself, right?
1: Yep, yeah, yeah. We talk about that a ton, and it's yeah, it's unbelievable how much it's. Even this conversation is making me just think about how much these platforms have changed in like the last five years. And if you were only on one of them and you picked the wrong one in the wrong way, you're in trouble. Versus having that direct <laughs> connection. Um. So. We talked about a little bit about the in-person production, fully remote in people's kitchens. Um, you know, their kids are about to show up, like making sure that it's that they're actually having fun. What's been the most like memorable of the production that you've done in the last year, and what are you most excited for?
0: I again keep bringing it back to um, what's eating Dan and our other show, Gearheads, which is hosted by, you know, Lisa McManus and Hannah Crowley. They're part of our reviews team and they are the equipment experts. And Lisa's in Boston, Hannah's in Vermont, and they've managed to shoot that entire show remotely without skipping a beat. And that's also thanks to our awesome producer, Eric. He's really just been with them every step of the way. And I think without that and without understanding their challenges and what they were going through, the show would not be successful. And they they've sort of bonded over the the experience too, if that makes sense. So they know that if they can't produce their segment or this makes the show fall off track for Eric's schedule, that makes Eric's whole schedule that much harder for that month. So having that interconnectivity around, even though it's Zoom and they can't be physically together, just building that personal relationship, that I think is a key element to what's made our remote productions a success. And then again, a lot of um, positive feedback right? Like every opportunity I get, I remind people that they're taking on a lot and they're doing it and they're crushing it and that they've grown as a result of it. Who would have ever thought that Dan could operate his own camera and shoot the entire show from his house, right? A couple months ago. (laughs) No
2: one.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. The best part is look at the audience, look at the comments, which we take with a grain of salt. Most people can't even tell that it's Dan shooting at his house, which I think is the ultimate compliment. So
1: (laughs) yeah, that's amazing. That's incredible. And what about when things can be normal? What do you think, what are you like excited for? What Do you have a project you want to do that you're just going to like have a thousand people in one room together? What's, what's your plan?
0: <laughs> you know, they're, they're in the middle of wrapping up television right now. Um, mm-hmm. So my counterpart on the television side, Caitlin, they shot the actual broadcast TV show from home. Uh, so that mm-hmm. was no small feat. And they've taken that and it, it's essentially, it's broken the format of what people know ATK to be, right? Which is usually two people on screen interacting with each other. So there was a lot of creative changes they had to make to the format of the show because it's now just one person direct to camera. And how do you do that in a way that doesn't, you know, leave your audience behind or confuse them and again, make it comfortable for the talent. So for me, when we can get back in the studio and have more than one person on set without a mask, that's that's the dream day. (laughs) Like, can we get there? It seems like we're tracking towards it. That's going to be an awesome day.
1: Awesome. Um, so, look, this show is obviously called "Talking Too Loud" because, as you can see, when I get excited, I I can't help myself and I talk too loud. Um, what gets you talking too loud, or your equivalent? What What's getting you really excited these days?
0: Mm, I I tend to not be a super loud talker. I think, no, like, no like
2: way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I obviously got passionate about some of the subjects that we got into, but. I I honestly am just excited for people to reconnect. Um, I touched on it earlier, but I think as creatives, it's been extremely, extremely challenging. And I think we're all feeling it. Um, there's so much going on in the world. You feel grateful that you have a job and you can make a living off your creativity, but you're still processing all these other things. And I, I think that the impacts of the last year and a half will not be known to us fully um, for quite some time. So I know how wonderful it's felt at least in the last couple of weeks to be able to just hug someone, you know, because they're safe or they might be fully vaccinated. And that human contact, which I think is so integral to our creativity. I can't wait for that. That, That's the thing that I, I definitely miss the most. and. It's uh, maybe I'll be I'll just be scream talking the whole time. I start to see like (laughs) friends and family again, and you if we ever meet in person, you know. Oh
2: yeah,
1: (laughs) well you got so genuine on that. That was like I mean of course. So we just want to be together. Um, (laughs) I I I can't agree with you more. That that's like uh, exciting to see that in our future. Um, I have another question. You you've got some skateboards hanging behind you.
0: I do. Are
1: those? Did you design those?
0: <laughs> I did, yeah. I painted them.
1: Do you have a skateboard design company as well?
0: I, I used to. I was okay. much more active in my my earlier years. And now I mostly do one-off commissions here and there. People you know, will reach out, mostly on social, usually around the holiday times. So that's a busy period for me.
1: Oh, really? And you paint them all? I do, yeah. And how did you get into that?
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up moving around a lot when I was a kid. And I think I just gravitated towards... Um, skateboard culture and the sort of aesthetic of it was really fascinating to me. But then I realized that um, as someone who could not skate well, how could I contribute to this community that also was from a aesthetic point of view, pretty limited at the time. I would say the skateboarding industry is completely different today than when it was, um, when mm-hmm. I started the company, when I was in high school. And so part of it was trying to introduce this idea of um a fine art aesthetic into these boards because to me they were art and I really loved the fact that someone could choose to hang them or to actually use them and then be part of the creative process with me by destroying the art that I created. So it was definitely like an angsty teenage outlet, um, but it ended up, you know. Love love angsty teenage outlets. (laughs) I I spent a lot of time in New Jersey, so I'm happy to admit of my emo uh, roots. So Oh, you gotta have the emo roots, that's great. Favorite, Favorite emo band? Did you have one?
1: Do you oh, gosh.
0: Them? There's so many. I, I'm, I'm going to go with Saves the Day. All right.
1: <laughs> mm. Great one. I thought you were going to go My Chemical Romance.
0: No. No. No, that's... Yeah.
2: No, no. <laughs> no, Savage.
0: <laughs> As,
2: no. Like the Get Up so Kids. Me. The Get Up okay. Kids are up there.
1: Goldfinger? No? Um, no. <laughs> I'm just throwing out ones that you both hate. That's great. That's Wait, who
2: is the... There was one... Ugh, and then I feel like MTV used them for a song, and I was so mad. Oh my God. Midtown? Midtown? Midtown. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We know we went real deep, Savage. Sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um,
1: No, that's keep going (laughs) if you need to go. Go all the way there.
0: I was into the acoustic stuff. So that's why I saved the day. Dashboard confessional. I know they were commercial. You kind of look like him, Chris. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa.
1: He's still going, right? I think someone, a friend of mine, was telling me that their partner, um had watched one of his remote concerts like a month ago
0: i wouldn't be surprised
1: he's just chilling just playing that acoustic just like living his best life all right um look i don't know where we got here
2: (laughs) (laughs) how did we arrive here we are
1: sylvie did we miss anything before we wrap up here
2: um i i feel like we we checked all the boxes but i feel like we could also keep going um,
1: you said before you seem pretty excited about America's Test Kitchen Kids.
0: Yes. So we we had big plans for this year and we actually were able to hire um, two full-time video folks to join our team and help us create and run this content. And so we're launching a YouTube channel in June and we were able to take what we did with the remote production and scale that to kids across the country. So our first series is a Test Kitchen Kids Takeover, and that's all real life kids uh, cooking our recipes and showing you techniques and demos from their very own kitchen. They're super fun. That's awesome. Their personality shine through. It's it's honestly been one of the sort of more joyful things that I've gotten to work on that has been less stressful. And How old th- are the kids? Oh yeah, they range from seven all the way to sixteen. So it's a pretty wide range of kids. And again, cooking with kids is just so different, but it's so much fun. And then of course, trying to direct them via Zoom is also very challenging. Yeah, that sounds
2: fun. (laughs) Yeah, so uh,
0: our producer Key Up has done an incredible job. And yeah, all of that content is gonna start releasing on our channel in June. And then we've got three original YouTube shows um, that we're also launching. And we're really looking at year one as like our development year. So our goals for the channel are really conservative. It's really about building audience and awareness, and each individual series is also different. So the first one is much more of a straightforward, like hands and pans format that was, you know, born on the internet. But we have never really done anything like that before. Yeah. The second That's one like will be—is
1: that like taste made style or?
0: Yeah, exactly. Except okay. we've built a character into it. Um,
1: okay.
0: Grandpa Sai. He's a. a retired evil scientist who now wants to get into cooking <laughs> It's gonna be great um and he's guided by our atk kids helping him be less less evil and menacing and use his powers for good so good good spin um, then we've got an animated science explainer show coming up so that's gonna go much more into like the big questions kids have around food uh, and then the third series is gonna be an adaptation of our podcast which is going to be awesome, mystery recipe. So all very different.
1: That's awesome, and it all starts coming out in June.
0: Yep, one video a week. Make sure to subscribe, like, and subscribe oh, I can't, as they say. I can't say. wait to
1: watch that with my with my kids. Yeah, Zoe's going to Zoe, be into that.
0: Get, yeah, yeah, thinking, she'll be into it, especially yeah. if it's
1: you know about cooking plain plain white bread with butter on it. <laughs> just delighted.
2: <laughs> Maybe this will expand her palate. Do we have a picky eater?
1: She, yeah. She's become a little bit picky, a little bit of a picky eater, although it's pretty fun. The other day, she's like, can you make your special daddy breakfast? And my brother was here, and he's like, what is that? She's like, oh, daddy cooks, cooks bread in a pan with butter. And they're like, are you serious? Are you serious? You're <laughs> getting away with this? That's what you're doing? I was like, I cut, I cut it into shapes. I don't know what to tell <laughs> um, yes, she's a picky eater. My younger one is not at all, which is, you know, you just see how like they're just on their own, figuring out their own stuff. It's like right, whatever. More adventurous. But, yes. Yes. Mika, thank you so much for being here. This is super fun. Um, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about you or America's Test Kitchen or ATK Kids? Where should they go?
0: For um, America's Test Kitchen, you can find us on the web and across social America'sTestKitchen.com. We're at Test Kitchen on our social handles. Uh, same for kids, and then for me, um, just my name, MekimDang.com, and again at MekimDang on across social.
1: Awesome! Thank you so much for being here.
0: Yeah, thank you both.
1: You know, she is so lovely and grounded and like calm and cool and then you're like how much do you have going on at once hey, what <laughs> how many projects do you have she's like i think like 20 original series and that doesn't include any of the social stuff no that's that's completely separate it's like What's going on here? <laughs> like, how I, much stuff is being made?
2: I genuinely did not realize, like, the breadth and scope of the work that was coming out of America's Test Kitchen in terms of original content. And you're right. When you, like, when you kick that question over to her, like, I could see the gears turning in your head. You're like, wait a second. How wait many? Way Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, like, just 20 billion. Okay. and But yes, it's so just like anchored and i found myself yeah i'm like how did how did you get that way how are you like that yeah you know it must have been all the emo all that emo kept her humble all that emo music that we talked about
1: that'll that'll keep you humble a little save the day and then suddenly you're just rolling with uh Rolling with the global pandemic, remote production kind right? of situation. You're you're good.
2: You're good. Like you have a time and place to cry it out with with your music. <laughs> okay. Um all right. I mean, we didn't really
1: go there, but I I think it was like it was very cool to hear about the scope of the things that they have going on, and also that like she just seems like somebody who you know she's like, well, we're closer to our customer. Like our customers are home cook. Like so we're all at home and we're just figuring this out. We're gonna we're gonna make better content because of that. And I feel like there's like a, a lot of stuff in there, just like that attitude, rolling with the punches. And then also, I mean, just this, the, the amount of content being created, it, it highlights like that these niches are a lot bigger than we think they are, right? Mm-hmm. Like what the, the people who want content that's about like, you know, how you cook using science. It's a pretty specific thing. Oh, how you cook using science for kids how you cook using science for kids at home with the podcast and like and you realize like wow if you if you can nail that if you can get focused enough unbelievable the audiences that can be created and also just the sheer potential for like teaching education and storytelling
2: totally and like same same sort of logic applies to what she was saying about platforms right she was like yes tiktok has a different audience than youtube has a different audience than X, Y, and Z. So really just like... Or like what the audience
1: wants is different. Yeah, right? Like I feel exactly. like it's like, it's, it's effectively a different audience, even though it might be the same people. And it's like they're engaging with the brand in a totally different way. Totally. And yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I think that like also TikTok is like, I don't know. I mean, I know you're into TikTok, Sylvie, but like, <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not really in there. I'm not, I don't really know what's happened to the well, algorithms.
2: America's test kitchen knows what's up with TikTok. I'm gonna have to yes. go binge some. We can't call it ATK, but now that's all America's I want to say. Kitchen.
1: America's Test America's Kitchen. Test say it again. America's Test Kitchen.
2: America's Test Kitchen.
1: Nailed it. You nailed it, Sylvie. Nailed it. We can't just use that. You know the the quick abbreviations for everything. We got to use <laughs> the full the full brand names. Full brand name. Well, look, it was it was so fun having Meekam here, and I think you know she talks so much about the scale of their approach and like how they get their content into the world. And if you want more of this, Mekam is actually very heavily featured in our new series, Show Business. Yep. Um, talking about you know, how to market content, how to ramp up, making way more shows, how to think about all the other content in your company. And so you can go to com and look for show business. You'll find it right in the series section. Um, and that's our new 20-part series on everything from conception to production, distribution analysis of how you can create a show for your business. Hence, show business. Show business. You like that name, Sylvie? (laughs) I keep going, that's show business. That's show business. Yeah. (laughs) And it's that time of the show where we're gonna say, hey, if you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Subscribe even if you haven't, if you just found us and you haven't subscribed, we'd love, love for you to, to subscribe. And we have a lot of amazing new content coming out of Wistia Studios. We have show business, a better workplace, more new content coming out. We have some secret projects we're working on. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Uh, but I can't tell you what they are. Um, and uh, of course, if you want to send us a voice memo or feedback, you can email us directly at ttlpod at Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you have a great day.
2: Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.